Say you're a professional landscaper. You're not just tough. You're professional grade. And so are your tools. Because you got best-in-class Echo X-Series products. You got a perfect balance of power, weight, and performance from a professional-grade 56-volt battery system. Max-out battery tech that gives 100% power till a 0% charge. Echo X-Series means best-in-class tools for best-in-class pros. So when we say Echo is professional-grade, we mean it. Echo. Power on and on. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. And this is episode 125. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. Later on, editorial assistant Ellie chats to Neil Campbell, head chef of hot new restaurant Rovi, about why deep frying makes everything taste better and how to make the corn ribs dish that has taken Instagram by storm. But first, I met up with Lucy Hall, editor of Gardener's World, to find out why quinces are a much-neglected fruit that deserve their place on our dinner table. So quinces might be one of Britain's most underused and underrated fruit, but we've got a special guest here today to um, fight their corner, Lucy Hall, the editor of Gardener's World magazine, who knows all about quinces because you've got them in your garden, haven't you? I do. I love them. And they're completely the most underrated fruit. They are the biggest secret in the fruit yeah. garden. You know, they're just fantastic. They're aromatic and they're floral all at once. It's a sort of elusive but really powerful scent. You know, when yeah. I brought these out of the bag this morning. Yeah, we've got some prime specimens oh. here, which look like basically if you'd taken a pear and then kind of pumped it up with a <laughs> with a bicycle pump it's got lots of like quite attractive lumps and bumps on it you were calling them rubenesque weren't you i think they're so curvaceous they're lovely they're kind of lumpy and bumpy but they look beautiful yeah. and they're just and they you know depending on the variety they can be completely different sizes mm. so i brought in two different sizes here one that kind of you can't even hold in your hand it's so massive yeah. and the other which actually are mine is like a um, little apple oh, isn't it absolutely they're like golden apples yeah. and really soft down which actually you can just sort of brush off with your thumb and you know the smell I just love the smell it's of like them. a real honey completely honeydew and yet there's mm. floral blossom yeah, in there but it's a real fruity smell at the heart of it and it's just delicious and exotic all yeah. at once and I think that's why they're so people just don't know what to do with them well I think because I, I I have to confess um Lucy emailed me and said I've got a bag of quinces do you want them and I said uh, I'm going away this weekend, no thanks. But it's really because, like, I don't really cook with them. I'm a bit of a quince virgin. And the reason is, I think that they're so hard to get a hold of that I've just never really, you know, as someone who cooks every single day, I'm just completely dunce about quinces. Because um, they're not produced commercially, are they? I mean, it, you wouldn't find a quince in a shop. I don't think. You, you can find them on markets. Market, you can find like them, or, you know, in yeah. farmer's markets. You've got to hunt for them. You've got to hunt for them. It's a sort of traditional place to buy fruit. You know, yeah. a really good greengrocer may have them. May, yeah. Would probably have imported them as well. I mean, there are lots of quince trees dotted around the country, but mm. they're in back gardens or they're, yeah. in, they're in special places that, uh, you know, <laughs> 
isn't, they're not being commercial, they're kind of growing them. So I was in this amazing pub that had them in an, in an orchard and I've got them in my garden. Yeah. Cooks, I, mean, I know Nigel Slater has one in his London Nigel garden. Nigel Slater's got a lot of recipes online for Quinn. <laughs> he has. He's a real go-to for yeah. me, actually, um, as is Sarah Raven and Jane Grigson. Okay. So really, you know, cooks who really look at You said it's sources. a gardener's fruit, didn't you? I think there are cooks and a and gardener's, gardener's fruit because yeah. you've got to grow one to start with. As you say, you know, how on earth do you find them? You've yeah. got to find them first. And then there are cooks' fruit, really, for me, because you can't eat them raw. They're really right. inedible. They're tough and hard. I think that's what pe- puts people off. Yeah. You, you hold one, you think, what on earth am I going to do with it? You know, <laughs> yes, OK, it smells nice, but, but what next? So you've yeah. got to cook them. And then they're complete transformation. You know, it's uh, they're transformed into something, you know, lovely and luscious and aromatic. And so when you cut into sensual, them... Sensual, even. It's... it's- they're quite hard, aren't they? Someone I, I was reading I was reading about it and they said, um, you know, beware of accidents because sometimes they're incredibly hard to even just cut through. Yeah the flesh yeah i think i can so easily see a knife bouncing off one of these so you've got to be really super careful um you uh sometimes find at the heart of the fruit yeah um that's where it rots from is the center so they're sort of really elusive fruit all around so you don't even even know what you're going to get no even if you you know i i i've um you know picked them from trees i've bought them from shops you cut into them they look beautiful on the outside and then on the inside you think oh but you know look it's all gone brown in the middle and but actually you can always cut around it yeah um, that's the thing but there are so many things you can do with it but you've got to just show them a bit of love and then they'll they'll kind of love you back and it's a shame that they that they um are so elusive isn't it because it really is quite an ancient fruit i think you said that you looked and they've been around since well since the beginning of <laughs> since the, the very beginning yeah. yeah i mean you know apparently those who know this kind of thing about biblical stories they were in the they were the forbidden fruit of the garden of oh, eden oh so it wasn't an apple it was a well, quince because they come <laughs> they come from the middle east oh, so they course. come you know they're native to iran and all across the middle east and armenia and so they've had you know that's why they love this sort of warm weather that we've had this summer yeah. so they they are used to temperatures of extremes real heat in summer and actually they love cold in winter mm. And then they need water. So you can imagine in that kind of Garden of Eden, you know, it being hot and yet, you know, never-ending supply of water. But um, they're really famous, though, of course, for being, uh, you know, the fruit of the gods in Greece. It was the fruit of um, Aphrodite. So, you know, the original aphrodisiac, perhaps. (laughs) Uh, So the fruit, you know, she was the goddess of love and fertility Mm. and good growing. And so this was the fruit that was, you know, sort of was given to her. Apparently it's the fruit that started the Trojan War when Paris gave a quince to Aphrodite as a, as a gift. I mean, like, what other fruit has started a war? No, it's got <laughs> such an amazing history. <laughs> and they so, but they're, they're really at home in, in kind of Greece, so Eastern Mediterranean, across the Middle East. Yeah, I was going to say, because they pop East. up in Spain and, you know, the Membrio, and I think you said France. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. In France, there's a village called Cotignac. Okay. And, and, that's, and that's quince paste in oh. French. And it's amazing, a village named after a fruit. So Isn't... they've got such amazing history. I mean, the botanical name of them uh, is Cydonia. Cydonia oblonga, and that's mm. Cydonia comes from 
uh, well, the, the original Greek name for Hania in Crete, oh, okay. so Kaidonia. Yeah. And uh, so that's really kind of the origins of them, is, yeah. is kind of way east. And then you can just imagine they were traded all across Europe Somehow and landed. came, you know, across North Africa, mm. up to Spain with, you know, the, the Moors, and uh, when, when, uh, when it was Islamic Spain. Yeah. And so they ate them there. I, I ate the most amazing tagine up in the Atlas Mountains a couple of years ago um, in, a, in one of the casbahs up yeah. Yeah. And it was a really basic uh, quince and beef tagine. Oh, wow. And that so we, this kind of tagine came out in this massive, gnarly old pot, and we thought, oh, gosh, what, what's in it? You know? <laughs> and there in the middle of all was quinces. And it was just delicious because you got that sweet and savoury all you've, at once. With tagines, you've always got the, like, savoury, but a nice sweet thing from yeah. either, you know, apricots or dates, but, like, quinces would fit into that perfectly. Well, it completely made me think again yeah. about how to use quinces because I'd always used them as sort of jelly or paste or, yeah. or you know, for other things, you know, in apple pies and yeah. things. Never had I thought about about really using it as a savoury yeah. and yet again last weekend someone served it up a, a duck breast with with slices of spiced yeah quince. i think it's and it's just it's, it's coming back it's... <laughs> but it's funny isn't it because um it's also like quite an, an a traditional british fruit because i was reading that um apparently in 1275 edward the first had quince trees planted at the Tower of London. And that's... So that's a long time ago. Wow, yeah. Um, so I guess... And, and then, you know, quinces in historical cookbooks in kind of puddings and pies and, like you said, quince paste. So it's it's always been around and it just seems such a shame that it's kind of dropped off and that's because we've stopped cooking them yeah i mean i think one reason why they were so loved in the past is yeah. because they last you know yeah you, yeah you you pick them i mean october's prime time okay. for picking they'll last so right now right now i mean you'll find so if you're going to find them anywhere you're going to yeah. find them now um <laughs> you know I, I bought these in abergavenny market last okay. week there's a, there a lady there selling them so <laughs> if you're anywhere near there go there <laughs> um but you know they will last um they just need air around them they don't want to be in a fridge they want right. to be in a really cool place and you were saying they perfume a room as well yeah i mean one of the traditions you know <laughs> apparently in older times was, you know if you had um like a sort of laundry cupboard or laundry room and you had your sheets and an yeah, air and whatever you put a quince or two quinces in there and it really fills it the room gorgeous you know so actually all you need is a bowl of them in your kitchen and it's just you know it just scents the room it's yeah. amazing so they last and that's the thing and i guess in in you know pre-fridge yeah. Uh, you know, that's people are used to having that sort of outhouse or somewhere to somewhere to keep them. So if you can keep them somewhere cool, then they, they really will last. They will and just last sit. all the way to Christmas. Um, and I guess it fell out of favour because they need a bit of effort yeah. to make. And, and shops don't know what to do with them. No, they wouldn't. They, you know, they, they don't have that fast turnover. So yeah, I think they're you know absolutely right for a comeback. And particularly as this year, you know, it's just been an amazing year for yeah. them because of the heat uh, and the heat. Has just brought so many more fruit on so you will find them around the place mm. and if you know someone who's got one like me i've got so many quinces i don't know what to do with them all that <laughs> so, so i'm what, giving them away let's talk about cooking so once you've hacked through the um, and and cut them into chunks and presumably the peel comes off as well because that doesn't look very edible no and actually you'll find i mean you see if you rub your finger over yeah, it's it, got like a this, kind of this sort of fluffy dust. fluffy down all over yeah, it like a so, down. so that kind of comes off so well it depends what you're doing if you're um, making quince jelly yeah i never peel them i just oh, you know, really? wash them yeah and then just chop them up um, yeah, so big, big knife, <laughs> and then just chop them all up uh, and steep them 
and, you know, just sort of cook them down. And then, once they've been really nicely cooked, then you drain, you know, like any jelly. Oh, because it's a jelly, through. so you would drain yeah. it through, like, yeah, a muslin so or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, how, and how long do you... How, like, how long are we talking about for the cooking? Is it hours or...? Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, they are hard fruits, so you've got yeah. to reckon, you know, probably an hour and a half or so, yeah. and then just keep... It depends on the variety, so... Uh, and it depends on how big your chunks are, yeah. you know. <laughs> depends how tough <laughs> your course. knife is. Yeah. It's, it's, there's so many what yeah. Um, but, yeah, just keep cooking and, and, and uh, testing it and yeah. just pressing, you know, a knife or a fork or something into it just to see how soft it is. And, you and, get then, this amazing... and then just obviously drain it overnight and, and let it kind of... Or or during the day or whatever and let all the juices come through you get this amazing transformation in color as well don't you completely it goes rosy color it's just the it's most crazy. amazing so i brought a i brought a quince jelly in Ooh. and you know if you look at the color of it oh my god it's lovely it is it is this sort of rose petal color it's, it's got such a lovely pinky glow to it you think well it starts out with a really golden yellow fruit yeah. And yet, just the whole transformation of it through the cooking process, and it's the, taking the sugar up and so on, and it just turns into this beautiful colour. And then again, the membrio is even thicker. Did so, you make the membrio as well? Uh, I did, yeah. So and, how, do you, how would you make that? Would that be... that You would leave the flesh in that, presumably? Uh, do you know, I think we peeled those. Um, but the flesh inside would be like Oh, the flesh yeah. inside, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're basically... Jelly is your fastest form, and it's none of this is quick cooking. No. This is the beauty it's of preserved. all... Thing. But then you get to eat it for the rest of the year. Exactly. I mean, this I have to I have to say this, this membrio. We made so much of it. It's uh, it's three years old, um, but it lasts because we just wow. we've just got it in um, sealed you know Tupperware boxes. So basically. it doesn't it, it dries slightly. Do you keep it in the fridge? Uh, I don't know. I've got a. I've got. I'm lucky like enough a cold to have a cold cupboard. Oh, yeah. Nice. So um, my uh, my other half, he always says, "God, it's like it's like your grown up wine gum." Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got a real I've got a real thing for wine gums. Really bad habit. Uh, and this is the sort of posh wine gum, basically. What's not to like? I yeah. love it. It's cool. perfect with cheese. And also, I think. Um, one of the main things cuckoo rise about quince is that they've got a lot of pectin in them naturally, don't they? So that's why jams and jellies are kind of the natural yeah. thing to do. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they set beautifully. And, and the jelly, as I say, you know, is quite a sort of quick job to process. Mm. And the membrio, you just cook, you have to keep cooking and cooking and stirring and stirring. And every time you think it's sticking to the pot, then you've got to keep, keep stirring. You really want no so water really, in yeah. it whatsoever. And, um, and it's lethal, it's volcanic. You know, you know when you know what yeah. so many preserves are like. Um, you know, I, I ended up having to stir it with rubber gloves on because oh it was so sort of because hot it was and pop, popping, it's popping at you all over the place. But um, it's so worth it. It becomes wow. really thick. The colour though is the deepest, deepest red. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. You can go on and make and go even further and make a, a fruit leather with it, where you. Oh yeah. I, after, I've never made it. Yeah. Um, but I know it's that maybe you, this year. <laughs> Maybe this year. Well, that's the thing. We've got. We literally have a crate of quinces. I've already given half of them away, and we've still got a crate left. So I think that maybe the year for the fruit leather. So you know, you 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 kind of you squish it out, yeah. even even sort of thinner, and let it dry, and it becomes you know lovely and chewy, and that's the real optimum. That's the you know perfect wine gum, isn't it? Yeah. And you've also brought in um, some of your. I Some of my alcoholic refreshments. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is this? Quince brandy? So this is quince brandy. Let me pop it open. Um, oh, God. It's only 11 o'clock, so I think I'll be sniffing rather than sniffing. Oh, I think it's the perfect thing for 10 past 11, Anna. Mm, it <laughs> smells incredible. Well, I first came across 
um, making your own wow. quince in booze, basically, um, through a Jane Grigson recipe. She did quince vodka. And we were real fans of slow gin. Yeah. And I thought, well, we've got gin, we've got slows, we've got quinces, let's try them all. And, uh, and then, of course, we ran out of gin. So mm. we just thought, oh, let's, let's try this vodka, you know. And it worked really, really well. You just grate the quince. Now, it's really hard, so watch your fingers. Yeah. So, in fact, I use one of those mouli wraps. Um, and, uh, but also just an old-fashioned grater will do it. And you just grate the whole fruit, including everything, pit, you know, uh, the skin, the work. So, so this, just... is, this is an example of where you can use it raw. Yes, yes, you just grate it raw and into a big bowl and then add, if you're putting it into vodka, I suggest a, like a couple of ounces of sugar and then you put it into a massive kilner jar um, just to be sure that all the fruit is completely covered by alcohol. You don't want any fruit in the air, otherwise it'll oxidise and go really brown. And you're trying it now. So this is... So I just tried it. I, I took one for the team. And <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. It's really mellow. With the brandy really flavour, yeah. yeah. And this is not a special brandy at all. This is just a sort of... Just a Cook's brandy French kind of thing. cooking brandy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you just leave it for but basically at least two months. Yeah. So you could you could sort of do it now and have it ready for Christmas. Mm. Um, but ideally, it would be you know it's one of those kind of really midwinter after dinner drinks. And uh, so you leave the alcohol steep and the yeah. and the quince steeping together, maybe with some sugar. Not needed for brandy, but definitely for, for vodka, maybe yeah. gin. Uh, and just leave it for a couple of months and turn it and shake it. And, but just make sure all that fruit's below the surface. Yeah. Um, and then obviously just drain it off and, and drain it as many times as you it's, can and, and kind of sieve it. And, and I was going to say, you, your brandy is beautifully clear as well. That's been through lots of coffee filters. Has it? Yeah, lots. Because otherwise you might get some... Li I guess if you, the more stuff you get out of it, the, the less likely it is to spoil because yes. you've got all of the you've yeah. taken all of the solid stuff out yeah i mean i've seen in fact i've still got some i've got some um quince gin and it's got some little bits in it and i think we probably just didn't we probably weren't so patient yeah <laughs> you know so but yeah you can just just keep draining it through so take away the first fruit and of course you can then compost that or yeah. you can you know if you feel really keen you could probably bake a bit of it into an no, apple I was pie say, yeah, i'm sure you could do something <laughs> else exactly uh and then and then but just as i say just keep putting it through coffee yeah. filters and you get this lovely lovely golden colour and so that's uh, that's probably two years old that, Is it? that that brandy yeah it hasn't lost any of its it's not it's really it's still got quite bright honey kind of flavours yeah. it's really it's really unusual as well it's kind of sort of taken some of the um, the punch away from the brandy I think you know? so it's just it's that sweet but floral yeah. note that it adds just into, yeah. the, into the brandy. And it, I, I can't tell you how easy it is. It really definitely is. definitely be a nice after. Maybe I'll make some of that. Maybe I'll nick one of your quinces and make Oh, no, 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 you must. But then, you know, there's a very simple, you just can chop it really small and bake it in with an apple pie. Just one, you know, just even one small one will add such a sort would of Would you aroma. simmer that first before you put it in with your apple pie? I would pie. normally, unless, unless I'm cutting it really small. No, I would, I would usually Probably simmer just it simmer it a bit. Because you just so, need to get it going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas that apple will just blow up, all, you know, so quickly. So, and, that, and that, you know, that's and that's a classic thing. If you're, and, you know, or you go for the savoury option mm. as well. So you can make a whole meal of it, you know, starter, main pudding, and your <laughs> after dinner drink too. <laughs> and as you are um, a gardening expert, if there was anyone out there who's thinking, right, I I'm going to jump in and I've got space. I want to plant a quince tree. I mean, is that is that 
doable? Can you do that? Is it perfect? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So we're now coming into autumn, obviously, yeah. and as it gets colder, you get um, what's called bare root trees available. So you can buy them from online. From, oh, you buy like a mini tree. So you can buy them. You know, yes, a young one, two or three year old tree, and they come through the post um, without Ooh. any soil on the roots, and that's just known as a bare root tree. And it's winter's the time to grow them or to plant them rather. Really? Because so plant. Plant planting, now. planting now, yeah, planting any time from now until really about March, okay. and uh, they're dormant basically. So uh, with all the soil off the roots, they're easy to post. They're quite light, and they're dead easy then to dig in the ground. Mm. So basically, you make a nice big wide hole, not that deep, but a nice big wide hole. And you stretch the roots out, backfill, plant, you know, dig, heal it in, and uh, really firm it in. Give it some good watering, and let nature do the rest. Is there any particular soil that it's good in, or was it? They Quite. like, they do like moist conditions, but I'm, I'm... And sunshine, presumably. And sunshine, yes. Yeah. So don't plant them somewhere really shady. No. Plant them as, in as good sunshine as you can find uh, and in as rich a soil as you can give it. But to be honest... You know, just think about where they come from. They come from the Middle East, quite tough conditions. Yeah, they, um, they So, you know, if you've got a clay soil, it's perfect. If you've got a sandy soil, you probably want to sort of add more nutrients and add a bit of sort of bulk and, mm. and mulch it and so on. But, uh, you know, pretty much any garden soil, they're pretty tolerant plants. But you just put it in as sunny a spot as you yeah. can give it. And uh, certainly for the first few years... You know, make sure it gets lots of water okay. uh, to make sure it's well established. This year, I reckon I've had lots more fruit than ever, but they're smaller, slightly oh. smaller than... And that's because because of the summer, basically. It was quite drought, uh, you know, quite drought hit my mm. garden. So, um, but I garden in the west, and so it's, I certainly get more rain than, yeah. than in the east. <laughs> if, you, if you're gardening in, you know, east of, east of the UK, basically, where it's, where it's drier, just make sure you do water it. Yeah. Um, and then probably in the first year, you'll probably get a fruit. Do you reckon? Like, and you, it, would, it would happen that quickly? It, it, it can happen that quickly. It depends how, how, depends how yeah. much it loves yeah. your ground. So, <laughs> but you say. know what you've got? You, you ought to do... What is really, really tough, you ought to pick any young fruit off and just let the fruit establish. But, of course, who can, who can resist? So, so basically, don't, you not, don't let those fruit get big? Just, just let that tree establish for yeah. a year or two. And then from basically year three onwards, just let it rip. And Amazing. suddenly, suddenly, you, get, you find yourself late with a tree laden. My, my tree's probably five or six years old, and we've yeah. had crate loads mm. of it. Really? But, you know, the, one of the best things about getting a fruit tree, uh, like a quince in your garden, mm. is the blossom. The blo and the blossom of a quince is famously just the most beautiful blossom. Oh, yeah. Huge big cups of flower. And of course, bees love it. Yeah, it's really good for. Oh, yeah, great. All the other flowers in your garden, yeah. As yeah, well. yeah, really big pollinator. And, you know, the, the cups of the blossom are just fantastic. Huge flowers. They look beautiful. They smell beautiful. Uh, they're that sort of pinky cream look about them. Mm. And so they, re they really stand out in a garden. And when would that come out? Uh, about April, April even. April, so May. like spring. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're slightly later than a lot of apple blossoms. Yeah. So, and, and often if they're earlier flowering, if you have an early flowering fruit tree and you have a really hard winter, like we did this year with a beast from the east, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of blossom was lost. Okay. Whereas with the quince, mine survived and did oh. really well because it just came along that little bit later in April. Yeah. So, and by then all the bees are out and the pollinators are everywhere. So, in fact, we had amazing pollination of it. So, so it's great. You get like double, double bubble. You get all the blossom and pollination in the, in the spring and then in the autumn you get this fantastic fruit. And even better than that, and then beyond that, yeah. once the fruit are all picked, the leaves turn this amazing buttery yellow colour. Oh, okay. So you then got all this lovely autumn colour yeah. right in your back garden. Lovely. It's just... Uh, I just think, you know, can't, 
I can't say how good a fruit they are. Yeah. They're just, as a fruit tree, it's just an essential. I had one in my last garden and we just knew when Straight we moved away, to our new garden, you want to gotta go. have a quince. Yeah. Gotta have an apple, gotta have a crab apple and gotta have a quince. Well, I think, lovely. I think you've made an amazing case there for the quince, Lucy. <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to steal some quince off you, I think, and make some brandy, possibly some jelly. I don't know, but um, I've been inspired. But um, thank you very much for coming to talk to us today. Oh, it's lovely. I just think, you know, they sh they're a fruit that really should be better known yeah. and with such an amazing history. Let's, let's keep it going. Yeah, let's keep it going. Thanks, Lucy. Thank you. So, hello. I'm here today in Rovi, which is the newest restaurant of Yotta Masalonghi. And it's nestled in the heart of Fitzrovia. And it's kitted out with a very striking central bar and the open kitchen at the end where we can see chefs cooking over open flames. And they're cooking up their brunch service at the moment. So we've got people eating za'atar flatbreads and poached eggs, which I can vouch are great because I've tried them myself. Um, but today I'm here chatting to Neil Campbell, who is the head chef of Rovi. So, hello, Neil. Hello, hello, how are we doing? So, um, <clears throat> obviously we're here to talk about Rovi and your cooking here, but mm. first of all, I want to take it back to basics. So, how did you get into food in the first place? Mm, how did I get into food? There's probably two kind of stories or, or memories. One is when I used to live in the west coast Isle of Skye. Mm. My, my father was a fisherman, so I used to catch langoustines, a big trawling boat, like a 60-foot vessel. And I remember probably my first holiday was on the boat. Oh, and wow. I was helping around doing a bit of fishing and just a little bit of labouring on the boat. So I was around a lot of fresh products yeah. at a very young age. Then the next one would be my granddad loved he had a small farm, so I used to work on the farm my summer holidays and helping pull the veg and, you know, bits That's, and bobs like that. Yeah. yeah. And then from there onwards, <clears throat> did you train in... How did you make, get up to this level, almost? Hard work. <laughs> yeah, lots bit, of graft. A lot, lot, lot of graft, yeah, yeah. But it was... Um, how did I get there? Oh, I spent a lot of years, actually, a couple of years, not cooking great food. Okay. Which no one wants to hear. <laughs> no, it's but, brave to admit that. It's good. But when I went travelling, I uh, did a bit of Asia, Australia. Mm. I was two years in Australia, and that's where I found a big love for food. Because okay. some of the styles out there, you don't, I wasn't getting in Scotland, you know, yeah. with the Thai influence and superb fish and just really bold flavours. So that's when I came back from Australia at the age of 21, I would have been. That's when I decided... This is definitely for me. Changed my angle and went very professional at it. And then did you move to London straight away? No, 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 I cooked in Edinburgh for another three years. Okay. Uh, worked for one of, one of the great chefs that kind of also made me who I was, Roy Brett. He's okay. got a seafood restaurant called mm. Ondine. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, that's where I got, kind of got pushed to my limit and, yeah. <laughs> and found out what, what I could do. Yeah, that's <clears> good. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, for the past couple of years, um, few years even, you were head chef at the grain store. Yes. So, how did your time there influence your cooking style? I'd say massively. Um, when I had to leave the grain store because it closed, you mm, know, yeah. um, I, kept, I felt lost because... The, what I'd learned at the grain store and the kind of how built in I was to its concept, which is the veg focus, yeah. you know, really stuck to my heart. <clears throat> so when I went looking for other restaurants around London that, could, that, that had that for me, I, I found it very difficult 
to, yeah. to, to fit in or find some of the same beliefs. Not saying there's not restaurants in London which are not veggie focused. No. But it also has to have that family feel and then the love and the care really for it. Yeah. Yeah. And did you um and then was that when you came to Rovi after that? Yeah. yeah. So I, I spoke with Cornelia um right. well, last year about Christmas time and she told me about this project, uh. Rovi. It was very, very exciting. Because it was yeah. in such a young stage. Yeah. I could be part of it and influence it. Mm. And I kind of we we built it together. Well that's the way I like to talk about it. They, yeah. So obviously <clears throat> it's a veg-centric restaurant and there's a focus on fermentation and open open fire cooking. Mm. So what um what was it like creating a menu with those factors in mind? Because there's quite a few different elements going on there. Yeah. Sim simply is a big challenge, but <laughs> when you break it all down, if we talk about, let's say, fermenting and fire, I explain it quite simply. So you think of a blue cheese, it's funky. So the, I, I see is the the, um, the fermenting is that funk. Right, yeah. I know, I know it sounds quite yeah. odd, no. but, it, but, but fermenting has lactic acid, so you, so you have another area to attack your savoury food with acid f from the fermenting. Yeah. So you, you can build a bit more... Because making a veggie dish um, is quite easy, but mm -hmm. to make it stand out and be, be close to meat, it can it's be difficult different. in some people's kind of view. So one fermenting gives you another weapon. Yeah. Uh, the fire, I would say it's quite similar as well. It can mm -hmm. add, well, as you know, a smoky note, but it gives something bitter and you can just play off different flavours, you know? So it's almost like having different... Obviously, they're not flavours, but it's almost like you're working with these elements. Yeah. Instead of using flavours, these are the ways yeah. that you're making the dish, putting but, 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 it And building on. Yeah. So, so actually, it was, it's been great, you know, and I, yeah. um, I wouldn't go back. Nice. Um, and so I think for people that haven't been here, they might have seen it on Instagram, but the corn ribs are the dish that have most people talking. Mm -hmm. um, so what was the inspiration behind that dish and kind of... Yeah, how did they come about? Corn ribs, eh? <laughs> come try them if you haven't. <laughs> we had tables cancel uh, a couple of weeks ago because Why? they weren't on the menu. Really? Yep. Oh, my goodness. Called up That's the there. power of <laughs> yeah. dangerous almost, isn't it? How did the corn ribs come about? Well, we got the test kitchen in Camden for the group. Uh, yeah. So I worked there for six months to kind of help to bring the menu together. So there's a lot of kind of brain power there. A um, lot of inspiration as well around the world. Momo, mm. Momofuku was uh, another big inspiration because they actually kind of did start it, but it's a technique and we kind of evolved it. Okay. Um, and then just, again, pairing it with two very simple things. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes it's about being simplicity. Yeah, um, taking it back. And, yeah, and nailed that one on the head. Yeah. yeah. So for those that don't know, can you talk us through... The dish, because people might be like, corn ribs, what? What are you talking about? So, so corn rib, <laughs> um, basic fresh corn in the husk. It's got to be height of season. That's actually why we took it off the menu, because ah. the quality dropped right. in terms of the flavour. Becoming a bit more starchy now at this yeah. point of the year, so we got rid of them. So you can see them in Tesco's or whatever, but yeah. they're, not, not, they're not good not enough good. for us, yeah? Yeah. Um, so you cut your corn in four lengthways, so you have two or four long strips. 
Um, they get beautifully deep fried. Mm. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> then they get left to drip off, and then we slowly kind of char them over the grill. Mm. Um, we're using a little bit of oak with that as well nice. to make it really quite punchy. Yeah. Um, and then it gets served with an apricot ketchup mm. and a chipotle salt. Amazing. Yes, well, yeah. it's only breakfast, but I definitely want to eat those again yeah. now. But... Um, and so, obviously, we've talked about open fire cooking, but why why was that a focus? Was it just because it adds that other flavour dimension? Um, no, I think we we wanted the philosophy here to be more stripped back. Yeah. And even stripped back in terms of uh, time. So we didn't want water baths, and we wanted to be more humble. Yeah. Um, Going back to maybe when, you know, I don't know, 50 years ago, you probably weren't cooking over an electric stove or you didn't have a water bath, you didn't have all these no. fancy gadgets. So it's trying to be just more humbling with, with the food. Yeah, taking it all back to yeah. back to its roots. Yeah, because we don't have as many flavours as some of the other Otolinghi's, mm. you know? Yeah. Like at the corner, it's got three ingredients. Yeah. which so. I think is almost surprising for a lot of people that might hear Ottolenghi's name and then think, what, three ingredients? How does, how yeah. does that associate with Ottolenghi? Because you expect, yeah, yeah, 20 or something. But, um, so you've mentioned travelling quite a lot. And how have different places you've visited influenced? Because obviously Middle Eastern is always going to be a focus for these yeah. restaurants. Mm. How is, how is travelling? I thought it's a bit of cultures. I haven't mm. travelled that much, to be <laughs> I've travelled a That's little fine. bit here and there. But... Um, <laughs> I don't know, it's... Uh... Is it just seeing the places, seeing what other people are doing over there? Yeah, and, then... and I also think it's... So I talk about culture, so everyone has, like, simple staples. Yeah. And it's sometimes the best. Mm. Really, really simple. Uh, we're working on a dish at the moment, which is, like, it's a pierogi, really. So it's like, a, you know... OK, yeah. really, really simple. Yeah. But when you eat it, it's, it's, it's lovely. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so... I, I don't know, how do I take my travels? Just eating nice food around the world. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good enough. <laughs> um, so, like you said about the corn ribs, when the corn's not in season, you don't, you don't use that. Yeah. Um, are there... Do you use fruit and veg suppliers, uh, local ones? Where do you source we those produce from? We use... We work with a few small farms uh, in and around... London and the UK. Mm. Um, one of the people I brought on is a company or a farm, vegetable and fruit farm, mm. uh, called Brambley Tie. Okay. There's a chap called Stein there. Uh, he's Dutch and he's like, it's kind of a collective. There's three other farmers. Right. Um, and he's got beautiful orchards, mm. lots of apples, lots of pears, lots of Amazing. plums. And then he does a little bit of small veg. Right. Um, so... He literally calls me up the day before, asks what I want. Wow. <laughs> picks it a little bit of the, in the night, some in the morning. Yeah. And it comes just, you know, straight from the ground. That is, that's what you want, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's incredible. And we visited uh, just before the restaurant opened. I couldn't have imagined how someone could be passionate mm. about a tree yeah. or about his soil. It was like... Yeah, it kind of blew us away how serious and in love he was. How much he really cared yeah. about what... Yeah. And that's so nice, because then you know that what you're going to be getting and serving is 
the best, really, isn't it? Yeah. Because if someone is so passionate about that, then mm. that's only going to show mm, in what sure. they grow. Um, and so fermentation is mm. a big focus with kombucha and then fermented daikon, is that correct? Daikon. Daikon. Mili or daikon. Daikon. Big radish. Um, ah, so what was it like pairing those kind of styles with Middle Eastern flavours? Because you've, you've got two big elements going on there, haven't you? Uh, complicated at points. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Arguments between me and your term. <laughs> Fueled yeah. rouse over kombucha. Um, I it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. It, it, it gives you more weaponry to use to create. Mm. Um, helps us build deeper, richer flavours, to be honest. Mm. Um, it's, um, the pairing is difficult between if you want to talk about Middle Eastern flavors, mm. but some work, some don't work. You just, you just don't, you just stay away from them. You, yeah. you go with them. Trial um, and error. So, so some of the things that I didn't really realize were like Urfa chili. Mm. I wasn't really aware of that so much, but it's beautiful because it's a very soft mild chili. It's smoky and fruity. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so I didn't know some of the flavours and he didn't know some of it so much about fermentation, but to be honest, they, they actually go very well together. Yeah. It's got to be clever. Yeah, and it's kind of learning, yeah, like you said, learning what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. So that's how everything goes, really. Um, and so low waste is something that we haven't mentioned, but mm. I know is a big priority um, because I know that wine is made, um, is being made to make vinegars, so leftover yes. wine. So how important is low-waste cooking to you? And how do you come up with creative ways to use these leftovers, really? Because people might be like, wine as a vinegar, what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't like to think of waste as waste because you don't need, we don't need to make waste to start with. No. Okay? Cool. I, I know it sounds... <laughs> okay. <No>. Well. <laughs> but there's very little waste in the in this restaurant mm. and whatever waste we do have does get turned around yeah so it's about it's, it's just about sensible thinking and how you write a menu how you think about the season how you stock your larder um, yeah i think it starts with that and then you think about waste um because i don't know people say what do you do with waste well just don't have so much waste yeah. <laughs> just you don't know? create it in the first yeah. place <laughs> don't, don't over order um, yeah. <laughs> but then with some of the waste which is inevitable mm. um you know, the, the, the making the vinegar is still coming. It'll take us another probably six months for the vinegar really to be something yeah. of use. Um, but that can then just get turned into... So we would make the vinegar then into a fruit vinegar. So this year, we're collecting it, to, or making the vinegar. Yeah. It'd be quite harsh and quite abrasive because we've not got professional lab to do it. Mm -hmm. And then next year we'll add some of the really good seasoned fruit, elderberries, raspberries. That'll mellow it out, right. sweeten it up. And then we'll actually have a stunning, stunning vinegar. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's just about the time, giving it that time for these things to yeah. develop, yeah. really. Um, what else are we doing with their clever, clever waste? Are, are they dishing the menu at the moment with the uh, tempura of uh, stems, roots oh, wow. and tops? Nice. So anything that comes in, because a lot of our farms we work with, they come in with all the leaves, or yeah. they come in with the roots. Mm. Yeah, so of course. So we make a beautiful tempura batter, 
lovely dipping sauce, and it just gets um, deep fried. Again, deep fried. I'm Scottish. <laughs> Everything's better when it's deep fried, isn't it? Have you been to Scotland? <laughs> I've been to Edinburgh. Yeah? So, yeah. Did you eat in any of the fish and chip shops? I did not eat in any of the fish shops. I'm not sure if I did. I, went, no? I lived in Newcastle for a bit, so it was very close to Scotland, yeah. but I didn't, yeah, didn't explore enough. That's a enough. classic. Every, yeah. Everything you deep fried. Everything deep fried. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. Um, um, what else do we do? Another vinegar we make is another beautiful vinegar. We make um, tomato skin and chilli top vinegar. Oh, wow. So, again, that's using natural wines. Um, we use a little bit of good quality vinegar in there. Mm -hmm. And all the tomato skins uh, and the chilli tops, we then mix in there, even some of the vine of the tomato, yeah. and that'll be, again, ready next year. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So people just need to give it a year and then, then they can try all these things for themselves. Yes, yes. <laughs> but make sure you come in the meantime as well because <laughs> there's lots of great things to eat as well. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Neil. That's all right. And we'll let you get back on and, yeah, carry on with brunch service. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. So that was the Old Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our brand new November issue on the newsstand now, or go download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat. <laughs>